Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 166 for January 22nd. We're a couple of days late here, so sorry about that. On today's show, we're talking about... Where's my tab? There it is. There it is. Okay, we're I talk- love tab, especially with a little vodka. Tabs are great when you have the right one up. Um, oh, those ones. Yeah, so on today's show, we're talking about sweating on your projects. That sounds great. Uh, what grit you should sand to, and also wood prices. But before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. Whether you're sawing, routing, ripping down large sheets, or cutting a clean miter, you want definitive authority and control in your hands. See how to get it at FestoolUSA.com. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump right into the good stuff here. Uh, yes, so again, sorry about that. We had, really, it's all my fault. I had a bunch of things come up. My son's sick and blah, 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 blah. You don't want to hear excuses, but uh, we're recording two days later and uh, it's going to be awesome. We'll make it up to you for uh, by giving you just an absolutely fantastic show. What do you think, guys? Wait, well, this Wait. one, or are we going to like put we something else in that. place of us? Well, we're going to get three new hosts and let them do the show, and it oh, should be great. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move right into what's on the bench. Uh, for me, it's been a lot of power sculpting. It's, uh, I mean, you guys have probably seen me do a couple of projects with the power sculpting involved, and it's something I, I get to do maybe, seems like maybe once a year. And every time I do it, I actually find myself getting a little bit scared. And <laughs> it's not really fear of the tool. I mean, the tool is definitely something to fear if if you, if you have never used one before. Uh, you do need to be cautious with it. But it's more of a fear of just messing it up and, you know, going a little bit too far, going over a line. And you, you sort of need to build up my confidence with it before I flip the camera on and actually show other people how to do it. And, and that's the problem with uh, not doing something every single day. You know, you're just not uh, quite as used to the motions and things like that. So fortunately, everything turned out fine. No big mistakes were made. And, and now I'm uh, you know back in my power sculpting prowess. And uh, I really wish I could do more with this. It's something that uh, we talk about the little rabbit holes you can get into in woodworking. This is totally one of them. You could do sculpted projects from here to, for the rest of your career, never do anything else and, and still work on that particular technique. So it's something that every project I do, I get a little bit better at. Um, but phew, man, what a mess all over the shop, um, wood chips everywhere. And one thing I don't normally have, I mean, every shop gets that sort of a fine coat of dust, just to, you know, whether you're producing it with the wood or it's just regular da- dust from, uh, you know, from the environment. Um, but this is like immediately within minutes everything in the shop has this fine powder coat on it um, because I'm using a seven inch polisher to do some of the sanding. So it's, and there's no dust collection. It's just right into the air. Uh, that so. was actually going to be my, my main question for you is how <laughs> bad is the actual dust itself? Because I, I have this image of you. First of all, let me, let me set the stage here. Mark <laughs> walks out in his full on chainsaw gear, Hey-o. leathered up and chaps. And he's got the big giant mask <laughs> with the, the huge headphones. And then you pull out, 
that da- the disc sander, yeah. and then you go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot like that actually. Um, it's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And I I feel for people who have no dust collection because I'm I'm wearing the respirator. I've got the uh, air cleaner on, and after I'm done, I open the windows and turn on a fan and just try to get everything flushed out. But once it's on everything, it's just all over the place. There's no there's nothing to be done other than to use compressed air and blow it off and suck it out of the shop or just get a shop vac and, and clean everything up. But um, it it's a mess. So it, you want to borrow my leaf blower? That sounds like if you turn it on turbo, you might be able to clear it out much faster. I used to do that. I used Did to do that. That's a great way to like, if you have a big old, like one of those giant fans, you can get at home Depot, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. the roll around ones. And I put that in front of the door, opened up the window in the back and created this nice cross ventilation and just got the leaf blower out and blew the dust into the air. And it sucks like not all of it, but most of it out it actually works. So this is I definitely not something that I got that idea. I think you did a video of that oh, yeah. years ago. It was early, early on. Yeah, like, it's good stuff. But uh, so there was that. So the power sculpting was good. Feel good about it. And then I started to think as I was doing a lot of this sculpting, um, I wanted to listen to a couple of podcasts and I used to use those work tunes headphones. I'm sure a lot of you listening use them as well. And they give you AM FM, which like is crap. And they also a lot of times have a port on them where you could plug in your uh, iPhone or um, MP3 device, whatever. But what I really want is I don't want wires. I I already have, uh, you know, wires from my lapel mic. Um, I really just would like headphones that gave me the content on my device. So we're talking about Bluetooth, right? Bluetooth is the perfect solution. And I don't know if you guys have ever looked into this. So if anyone has advice on this, if you have a product recommendation that would work well for this, let me know. I would love to hear about it. Um, but what I'm using now is this kind of kind of a cobbled together solution because there's either Bluetooth headphones that you could buy that are like super expensive, like hundreds of dollars, and they look like they're like gold and silver, like they just fell off of some uh, some rapper's head. Um, they're <laughs> nice, but they're super they're not something you should have in the shop. They just don't look like they would last long in the shop. So you don't want the Dr. Dre beats ones that's in there exactly, just for beating around the shop. That's what I'm talking <laughs> just about. Just afraid to get the Marky Mark nickname. <laughs> yeah. Well, I already got that. So, um, yeah, so, so those weren't good. And then there's like the, the ones that are intended for people working in warehouses and working, um, I don't know, like at an airport, I guess, where there's the microphone on it and they're amazing, but they're like $400. So like, there's got to be a solution that gives me uh, good quality like hearing protection, but can also pipe some music in there. So what I'm doing, I'll, I'll make a little video on this because I think it's worthwhile, is I've got these lightweight um, hearing protectors. Basically, it's like your standard, you go to a shooting range type of uh, ear protection, earmuff style things. Um, but they have a port in them because they have speakers. So you could plug a wire, plug your phone in, kind of like the um, uh, the sixty seventy dollar uh, work tunes. But there's no AM FM. It's just speakers and a port. So what I decided to buy was a little thirty dollar Bluetooth adapter, and you just plug in a source and then plug in you plug it into headphones. And it will turn it into a Bluetooth device, essentially. Um, so, so the reason I'm going this route is because I didn't want headphones that needed batteries, especially if I have a Bluetooth device that needs to be charged too. So right. these are no batteries. They just work like regular headphones. They plug in. And then the only thing I have to charge is the Bluetooth adapter. And I haven't tried it yet. I've got the, the setup ready to go, but I'm going to give it a shot this week and see if it, uh, if it holds up. But all told, we're looking at maybe $60 of, of a purchase here. And for 60 bucks, the most you can really get out there are the, the cheaper work tunes versions with AM, FM and a little port. Um, so, and, and so to answer someone's question, why don't you just use the, the work tunes if they have the port, because I don't want a set of headphones that also require the battery. Right. Yeah. You know, so and those are heavy. I found them really mm-hmm. heavy over time. They can be cumbersome. Yeah. So, so these lightweight ones are nice. And, uh, the, I just had the little Bluetooth device hanging out from the bottom. I look like a, a goofball, but that's nothing new for me. Um, so yeah, a lot of words there to talk about headphones, but, um, I can't tell you how many times I've snagged that cord running from, cause I usually plug it into my old classic iPod, mm-hmm. you know, the 80 gig iPad thing. Oh yeah. And, uh, I'm constantly unplugging it, mm-hmm. you know, cause yes. you've got the iPod usually in an apron pocket and the cord runs up. And <laughs> if you make it too tight, it unplugs when you turn your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then you make it loose and you know, it snags. I reach for a pencil in my apron pocket and I snag the wire and, yeah. Uh, and it's so I annoying. can't even imagine if I was using an Arbortech, what I might 
snag on that wire. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's a safety thing. It's a convenience thing. And if it's not safe and convenient, I'm just not going to do it. So, so, so this is the way I'm going to, I'm going to try for now. I'll let you know how it works out. Um, but who's next? Shannon, what do you got going on? Uh, I have, um, well, still playing around with my lathes, but, uh, what else couple- is new? Yeah, yeah, what exactly. else is new? Well, I've, I've, I've branched out into some faceplate work, and I've never really done that much faceplate work, even on my powered lathe. You know, I think I could count the number of bolts I've turned on one hand. It was just never – it was fun, but it was just – it never came up. It's a different type of lumber that I need to have in my shop. But uh, I've been doing it on my pole lathe and my treadle lathe, and it's a lot of fun. It's just kind of neat, you know, take mm-hmm. a log, split it, whack at it with an axe, throw it on the lathe, and end up with a bowl. It's kind of fun. Nice. But then um, something that's been in the back of my head for a while, and I know something that Matt has been fueling in me lately, is this, <laughs> this spoon carving thing. Um, I think Matt had even started with you when you saw Peter Follinsby do it at yeah, WIA. Yeah, dang cool. It's, it's always, you know, it's, it's kind of crafty. It's something that, you know, just looks kind of fun, uh, you know, to, to grab a piece of firewood and turn something into it in a couple of hours' work. And the more I was thinking about it, the more I was thinking I might do a little video on that for Git Woodworking Week, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks. The idea that, you know, Git Woodworking is supposed to, like, invite people and get people new to woodworking. So I thought, why don't I try something entirely new and film it and see if it turns into a train wreck or not. So um, (laughs) seeing as I'm filming it, I thought I should at least try one or two spoons before I try to do it on camera. But uh, so I'm playing around with that. So it's been turning and spooning for me in my shop. Turning and spooning. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. that sounds very nice. I bet your wife <laughs> loves it? that last part. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's usually So does that mean you're going to be going, are you getting your, your passport together, together to head over to Spoon Fest 2014? You know, wouldn't that be fun? Just, just because, it, I don't know. Spoon Fest to me is like combining the Renaissance Festival with like woodworking in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is also the one that's going to be in Minnesota, I believe it is. They sent me a link for it coming up and it's actually in June, if I remember correctly. And basically their whole thing is just pitch a tent and come and hang out with us and bring right. beverages if you want. So that's like Woodstock and woodworking in America. <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. And I imagine there will be plenty of people that look like they are at a Renaissance Festival there too. <laughs> nice. All right. You're up, Matt. Sweet. All right. Well, what's going on for me and anybody that's checked out the latest video, finally, uh, I'm way moving forward with the platform bed. In fact, technically, it is a bed right now, which I'm pretty excited about. Now, I I could leave it the way it is without the headboard and put a nice, you know, finish on it and call it good. In fact, actually, it'd probably be better off if I didn't finish it because who knows what the heck's going to be all over this thing eventually. Uh, But it is all done. (laughs) The big thing that I was doing was when I was creating the the large frame that will essentially be the the platform itself. Uh, it's much bigger than, say, my web clamps, so I couldn't use those to pull the whole thing together because it looks like a giant picture frame. Mm. In fact, the more I think about it, I might make another one and just get, like, a big velvet painting of me for the front room. That would be really oh, cool. Oh, that sounds good. Can I get one, too? Yeah, absolutely. I'll make you guys some for uh, our anniversary coming up on April 1. <laughs> nice. Uh, but anyways, though, so the big thing for me was like trying to figure out how I was going to clamp those. And I ended up using, and I've gotten a few questions about why I chose to go this route. I ended up using biscuits basically to help me give a little reinforcement to the miters and to help align things. Uh, but more importantly, because I was trying to figure out that clamping mechanism, how I was going to do it, I ended up using uh, the, the new Nexabond uh, CA glue, basically. Oh, really? And I just wanted to try it, see what it did, and I wasn't expecting it to have the same effect that, say, uh, regular PVA glue would have where it necessarily swells the biscuits to supposedly kind of help lock them in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nice thing about it is, I mean, it was, all cl- it was all glued up and ready to go after, say, 25 minutes. So I'm loving the idea of using CA glue in certain situations. Uh, it, the one downside, and I don't know if I should admit this, I did actually glue it to the floor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the good thing is I caught it early enough that hopefully it was able to pry it off without leaving, without one, taking up the tile from the basement floor and two, without leaving wood on the, on the basement floor. So <laughs> <laughs> it worked out in my favor. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That sounds great. 
<laughs> but uh, uh, and then I just blame it on the cat. What's that mark over there? Oh, the cat threw up and I didn't get it. Time. It stained the floor. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so so it's working out nice. And then I, it's going to be it's going to be reinforced anyways once it gets on the platform. So I'm not worried about those uh, those miters opening up because of the biscuits. But the other important thing, the other most important thing, is I had a whole bunch of people that were emailing me going, you know, the size of that bed, you're not going to be able to get out of the basement. And I'm like, I am. Don't tell me I can't get something <laughs> out of the basement. So I took that platform, and as soon as it was glued up, and I knew it could move enough. I tried to get it up the stairs and I had a panic moment because originally the way I was heading up the stairs, it wasn't going. It was too big. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to listen to, I'm not going to hear the end of this. I mean, people are going to be going on this forever. But then I suddenly realized if I angled it just, oh, there it goes. So it went up. So I'm like, all right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to whatever for making sure that I could get this up the stairs. So I'm assuming you didn't measure anything ahead of time. No, I did, actually. Okay. But the problem is when I measure, <laughs> I oftentimes will completely doubt that I measured properly. Okay. So yeah. then I end up going back through because that was my main thing. Is I'm like, all right, if I have to put this on a diagonal, this is my absolute maximum right. that I can get through there. So but see, and originally I had Aiden bring his mattress down because I didn't want to bring everything upstairs. And we had a moment where the mattress was coming down. And I'm like, how the hell are we getting this back up? And <laughs> thankfully, though, mattresses are bendy. There you go. That have you guys good. ever done that? Build something that won't fit out of your shop. Or yes, into the room it's supposed to go into. Both. I had one for a client. It didn't. No, it was an almost. It uh, it didn't quite hit the top of the door, but it was a big pantry thing that we built. Well, she didn't let us know how low her ceilings were, so we had to bring it in just to get it through the door. You know, kind of tilt it up, and two people were carrying it in um, on its side. And then once we had to tilt it up, they, it's like, okay, well, the height will fit. The problem is you can't just magically get it in a vertical position. You have to rotate right. it through, which means you're really looking at the diagonal as uh, as part of the, the the length you need to consider. And it was so close. I mean, it just it basically scuffed the ceiling on its way around and, and it fit. So very close, but I've never had a, a complete fail. I had to actually cut apart um, joinery. And then suddenly the cabinet I built became a knockdown cabinet. <laughs> it was like, it, like it was, I mean, it, it was, this is a long time ago. I, the original joints were just um, uh, rabbits, uh, you know, the, what do you call that? The rabbit and groove type thing mm -hmm. where you flip the rabbit inside and you run it in the groove. Um, it was, the cabinet was put together that way and it was all glued up and everything was good. The face frame was put on, it was nice and strong and it wouldn't get out of the shop. And it wouldn't go into, you know, through my laundry room into the rest of the house. Uh, and it was like, great. That is no Here fun. I am with a sawzaw, like down the line, How cutting the thing apart and going to Rockler and buying knockdown <laughs> uh, yeah, hardware. And, How discouraging yeah. is that? Uh, that's got to suck. Ouch. Yeah, I, the, I the still get reminded the, of that by my wife from time to time. <laughs> the, the one time we did have it was our old entertainment center. It was the closest Samantha and I ever came to divorce. But more importantly, I proved to the entire neighborhood <laughs> That it was always her mouth that they heard that was swearing throughout the whole entire neighborhood. So uh, you can that still, was my payback. You can or still hear echoes win. through Michigan. <laughs> yeah, there's the there's the banshee on Moon Street. Right. All right. So let's move into what's new, guys. We've got a couple of links here, and I'll take the first one, Matt. If you want to hit the rest of them, uh, yep. I already talked to you guys behind the scenes about this, but we recently joined. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever heard of Alpha Geek Radio. And this is run by a friend of ours named Todd. He actually lives here in Phoenix. And it's, uh, it's, it's a radio station online that essentially rotates through uh, podcasts and, and just geeky sort of podcast content. So a lot of the Frog Pants stuff, if you're not familiar with them, it's the Frog Pants Network and um, just a ton of great content that, that these people are putting out. And he is devoting this radio station to looping this stuff with all the fresh new content as it comes out. So you could tune in at any given time. Um, you can go to alphageekradio.com right now and actually listen to it. You could tune in anytime and you're going to catch a fresh episode of one of the podcasts that's on this particular um, this station. So it's a really, really cool effort what he's putting together and we're going to be part of it. Now, in the past, we mentioned how we aren't going to be streaming live. Part of the issue is it's incredibly inefficient to just stream video when all you're really doing is talking. Uh, and a lot of times people on mobile devices aren't able to listen in because of the way the video works on a device or the fact that the video itself is just too high a bandwidth for their connection. Well, the great thing about this is it's super low bandwidth. Um, you can even, like whether you're on 3G, LTE, no problem, 3G, no problem. 
um, you should be able to get this stream on any device, your computer or any type of mobile device, and you'll be able to listen live and not just to us, to a bunch of other great shows. So in the future, we will be streaming live. Folks who like to, you know, listen along and play in the chat room, you can still do that and you'll have a much easier link and low bandwidth link to listen to the show. So we're really excited to do it. We're not doing it today because we're recording two days late and we're on a schedule. Um, you can't just kind of pop in and, and broadcast whenever you want to. Uh, so look forward to that. We'll do it next uh, next Monday. We'll have our first live show using the system and I'm really excited about it because that's how I listen to a lot of stuff and it works really well. That's, that's cool. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, I also wanted to mention uh, what because he's expanding, Todd is trying to, to get multiple servers and really make the service great and it's totally free by the way. Um, he's looking to get a little bit of extra funding to make all this stuff possible. So we'll put a link in the show notes to his Indiegogo project but if you just search Alpha Geek Radio on uh, Indiegogo, you'll probably come across it. Um, but he's not asking for a whole lot to to expand thing, like expand stuff, like nine hundred bucks. So um, hopefully, the audiences of all these shows will talk about this, and they'll be able to help him out. Um, so the Wood Talk audience should rush over there and just prove how valuable we are. Do it right now, <laughs> right? Um, anything you could do to help out is certainly appreciated. And if you want to listen live, we'll uh, we'll give you all the information you need to do that in the future. Should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Hey, well, this first link that we have up here, this, uh, this uh, Jeffrey sent this in, and it's a uh, quote, classical guitar maker Stephen Boone of Bosman, Montana, recorded the construction of his 24th guitar by hand. In other words, he made it by hand. And in this time-lapse video, Boone shows off his guitar in various stages of completion, starting from scratch. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to check out this video. Uh, it's over at wimp.com. Um, it's really dang cool. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. It's a lot of work it. and a lot of high end work. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. You know, yeah, what struck fact, me about that though, was, um, <clears throat> anytime you get a, a look into the shop of somebody who specializes in something, mm-hmm. it's always really fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the jigs that they build, like he's got a variety of clamping jigs that he's used mm-hmm, and yes. the really, really highly specialized work aids and sometimes specialized tools yeah. that they use. It, it's kind of neat. I mean, it's something that I think most hobbyists never really see because we tend to be kind of all over the map yeah, as far as stuff. We a little bit build. of everything. Right. Um, but it, it, was, it was really interesting to watch that and the, the little things that he came up with that helped with just this one little task. But you know, when you're building your, what is that? 24th guitar. Right. That's pretty cool. Oh, I actually saw Paul search's DVD on marketry and veneering, and you could see the backdrop of his shop. And I had kind of the same reaction because there's things on that wall right next to his bench that I'm like, wow, that's a really important roll of tape, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because there's like one part where he's actually what, doing a glue up and it, he's just taking string and he's just basically kind of tying the thing down, you know, just strapping it down. And I'm thinking how many people out there would be devastated or would be struggling to do that clamping because they're like, I don't, I don't have the proper clamp for it. Yeah. Or I don't have enough clamps for it. And here he is like, I got a ball of string over there and Some string. just tie it around. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very cool. Sweet. Well, hey, did you guys hear that Woodworking in America 2014, the dates have just been announced? Yes, I did, Matt. I did. I know. I was all excited about it. And did you also hear that they're moving from Cincinnati to Winston-Salem, North Carolina? Yes, I did, Matt. Hey, brought to you by I the know. cigarette manufacturers of the world. Or, I mean, I was, I was, dang it, you just took it from me. I was going to say something oh, about that. Stole oh, sorry. Sorry, oh, Matt. That's terrible. Oh. Back up. I said nothing. Oh, well, anyways, though, now that Shannon ruined my good pun... We'll just go right to it. Hey, guys, Woodworking in America 2014 is uh, all set for September 12th to the 14th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I guess there's going to be a lot more to do because North Carolina has a lot of woodworking kind of stuff going on around there. Interesting. Yes. So, I, I mean, I haven't really looked into it, but that's what I hear. So I guess all if right, you're doing a whole vacation thing and you got to like throw other stuff in there, that might be an issue. I mean, but for me, when I go there, it's like. Everything I need is right there at Woodworking in America. Um, nightlife is there as well because, you know, I'm, I'm such a party animal. Um, you are. I know. We had to restrain you a couple of times <laughs> in the know, last it's one. terrible. You, uh, you were the one that pulled the fire alarm, wasn't it? That's, that was me. I also burnt the towels in the, uh, in, in the laundry room too. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a great event. So, I mean, for me, it's almost, almost doesn't matter where it is because I'm going to have to fly anyway. And once I get there, it's all about the show and not too worried about uh, other things outside of the event. But – I guess some people must be. And some people just want to be entertained, and that's why they keep asking us to come back. Yeah. What? Something like that's that. That's probably not right. 
No, that's probably <laughs> definitely not. So, all right, let's move on to this next one. This one came from Jim, and Jim said, a, a colleague forwarded me this link to a collapsible spray booth that I thought I would share. Not, not sure how much one of these would cost, but the versatility might be something that some listeners could benefit from. Again, I don't know if you guys check this out, but for me, I don't have room for the size of the one that they were demonstrating. Basically, that is the size of my house. Actually, yeah. not that. The garage. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's big. And you know what? There's a rule of thumb, and I'm sure most of you know this. If there's no prices on the website, you probably don't want to know the price. <laughs> right. Well, you know what was funny? Was originally, when I, when I was watching the video, I thought you stood on the outside, and it was actually a chamber that somehow decontaminated the air. And then I realized, oh, no, there's a door. You go inside it. <laughs> <laughs> like little arm hole things that you stick your arms in. You See, that's it. a cool idea, actually, now that you think about it. Mm. Yeah, you put yeah, I was like, well, so you, and... you stand outside, you spray, and then it just sucks it into there. Hmm, I could do this in the living room. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, the next one came in from Archie, and he says, uh, this blow cues plywood raspberry pie tablet. And you can you can check that out. Now, a raspberry pie tablet, isn't that like one of those non-Apple things? So I wouldn't know anything about that. Isn't raspberry pie like an open source little dealie that you can use and do some fun stuff with? I don't know. Is it an Apple product? Because if not, then I don't know. It's not. It is not an Apple product. <laughs> okay. In that case, other than sounding delicious, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But hey, if he's if he's making a, a plywood version, which from if I remember correctly, when I was looking at this, he actually took the components from the Raspberry Pi tablet and then incorporated them into his very own manufactured uh, uh, version of it. So that's kind of nifty. Hmm. It looks cool when it's done. Raspberry Pi. There's so, so right. much in that open source world, and uh, I know people are using that with that, uh, was XBMC, XMBC, whatever it is, the, the thing for uh, home theater software for managing your um, your your stuff on a home server. Uh, but I, everybody keeps telling me because of the whole cord cutting thing that I should be looking into it. And I'm like, every time I look into it, I'm just like, it's a, it's a whole new world that I would get lost in. And I'm just not ready to get lost in that. Well, is, is it the type of thing that by the by the time you put the expense into it, you might as well have kept cable because you could have probably <laughs> saved money that way? Actually, most <laughs> of the components that I see, they look cheap. I mean, it's not a matter of cost. It's a matter of knowledge and wanting to tinker with something. Um, that I just don't have time for. Anyway. Well, since you're not watching cable, now you have even more time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, this next one, uh, both Matt and Justin sent in links to this amazing wood sculptor. Now, we've seen this all over. I mean, I, I, just about everybody I know on Facebook posted this. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh, a pile of cash that was actually carved out of wood. Now, I just want to take this box, this wooden box that was kind of manufactured, and it looks like it was actually made out of like two by fours or something, which to me looks even more impressive. I just want to take this to the bank and then be like, I want to deposit this immediately. It uh, it looks good. I've heard I've heard a few people raise the question of it potentially being a hoax. Oh, that's not cool. But what do you what do you think? I mean, it's certainly possible. I've seen things made out of wood that make me go, huh? (laughs) <laughs> and this is definitely one of them. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that someone could do that out of wood, but it also isn't beyond the realm of possibility that someone likes to make a stupid hoax for other people to <laughs> to share. Because well, yeah, I even heard another thing that supposedly this individual was receiving another commission to make a similar box out of something else. And it looks like they even have some other examples of his work. Like one I'm looking at yeah. right now is a three ring binder mm-hmm. full of uh, pictures and then a stack of newspapers like the New York Times crossword puzzle, etc. So, okay, okay, hold on. This just in the Raspberry Pi is a credit credit card size computer that plugs into your TV and a keyboard. It is capable. It's a capable little computer which can be used in electronics projects and for many of the things that your desktop PC does, like spreadsheets, word processing, and games. It also plays high definition video we want to see it being used by kids all over the world to learn programming so that's what it is so that you don't have to email us about it oh sweet (laughs) it still sounds like something i'd rather eat than play on (laughs) personally i think the box of carved cash is legit and the raspberry pi is a hoax that that sounds that sounds right (laughs) to me frankly all right well hey last one this one came in from lee and this is just you know, those Canadians, they, they're an interesting breed. I will say that much. And this is a video of uh, a barge, which is unloading a ton of logs. And it looks like it's an accident actually happening. But it just turns out uh, they're really good about unloading things without people actually touching them. So I don't yeah. know if you guys saw this, but the boat actually kind of lists to the side about 30 degrees all the logs slide right off the back of it, and it just slides away. So if you ever wondered how your lumber got to where it is, it may start just like this well, the, in a scary boat accident. The wild thing about this is it's not that it's coming off the back 
of the barge. It's coming from the side of the barge. So in order for this to happen, this thing looks like the, the ship is about to sink because it's like at a 45 degree angle and then everything just slides off and then it writes itself. So that, I think that's the crazy thing about it is it just looks like the, it's about to tip over. All I want to know is, do they have one guy that has to be on the barge to help just in case something yeah. happens? Like he's the one that opens the valve, and who is that? That's probably the intern. It's like Sucks you know what? to be that guy. <laughs> oh my gosh! You want college credit? Get on that barge, dude. Speaking of funny Canadian stuff, totally off topic, but I saw it on Facebook and had to share it. Um, there was this video that was like, you know, uh, if you have a light stomach, don't watch this. It was a Canadian car chase. Did you guys see this? Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. For I those actually of you, passed two of them here in Muskegon on the way home. Yeah, For those of you who haven't seen this, just Google it. It's so funny. It's There's nothing bad in it. It's basically, you know, the guy who's trying to get away and the cop right behind him. But they're both flooring it and neither one of them's going anywhere because they're on ice and they're just stuck in the snow. And then they both each get out and try to push their cars. <laughs> it's like, and it's done like a regular car chase with a helicopter view and everything. It's fantastic. I have to say in the first few seconds, I actually thought it was a legit video. <laughs> so did I. Oh, <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, let's move into kickback. Got the first one here from Brian. He said, I built a torsion box assembly table about a year and a half ago, and I was using um, mostly power tools at the time. Now that I've gotten more into the craft, the torsion box really shows its weaknesses, especially when chiseling. Uh, just to clarify there, the assembly table is really meant to just be an assembly table. So if you're using it for other stuff, that's the thing. That's where I found its shortcomings is when I tried to use it for something other than an assembly table. <laughs> um, it does exactly what it's supposed to do if you use it the way it's supposed to be used. But um, totally understand what he means. He says it's quite springy, as Mark mentioned. However, the way I get around this is to put a hardwood frame around the outside, and then I support one corner of that frame with a simple 2x4 when chiseling. It transfers the, bl- the blow of the chisel into the hardwood outer frame, through the 2x4, and then into the concrete floor. While not ideal, it does get the job done until I can build a workbench. That's that's actually a great idea. I mean, it just it, all the most people who build the torsion box will put that solid wood frame as trim around the outside. So if you can transfer the pressure right down into the floor and have a nice platform to work on, that's a, a great way to go. Sweet. Very cool. Very, very nice. All right. Well, hey, let's move into this next one. And this came in from Sean and Sean's kickback says about Dustin's question concerning the solid gears for his clock. He will most likely be fine using solid wood for his gears since the humidity in Hawaii doesn't fluctuate much at all. I don't believe it. Yeah, you know what? I think we need a road trip. I think we need to take one just to find out. Just a How test. long do you think we should let the wood acclimate while we're there? Six months. Okay, that works for me. All right, so uh, Sean goes on to say, unless he is fortunate to have AC in his house, of course, here's a brief story you don't necessarily need to share. Ooh, should we share this? This will be fun. <laughs> That's just, that just means we're going to share it. Of course. Exactly. Never, never tell us that we don't have to share something because we probably will. Yeah. And it definitely don't tell us not to share it because that means we absolutely will. And we'll even write a blog. Uh, a few years ago, I was visiting my parents in Kalai, Kalai, Kalai? Kailua. Kailua. Some uh, Hawaiian word with a K. He was in some place in Hawaii. That one. Uh, to help with a remodel. One night, I went into the woodcraft in Honolulu just before closing, and I started a conversation with the general manager about furniture making. He was kind enough to bring me over to the shop behind the store to show me some of the things he was working on, one of which was a solid bubinga couch. He then showed me an end table made with a solid wood top that was wrapped with a solid wood mitered frame. I asked if the wood movement would mess up with the top, and he said, no, the humidity here, humidity here doesn't change enough to worry about wood movement. Hmm. I don't know how true that actually is, but he's been a furniture maker in Hawaii for a long time, so I just took him for his word. Well, there you go. I mean, it makes sense, right? I don't know. If, if the yeah. humidity isn't changing, then the wood should be much more stable than an environment where it is changing. Um, but exactly. And that was the one thing a few years ago, or last year, actually, I did a little talk about humidity and stuff like that. And that was the big lesson out of it is people need to realize, in fact, I learned it myself, is that yeah, wherever you are, typically the humidity level stays very, very much the same year round with minor fluctuations here and there. And given Hawaii's uh, climate, yeah, I don't somehow seeing that that uh, humidity like spiking and then dropping and then spiking and then dropping. It's it's pretty mellow, just like the rest of the people that live there. Mellow, yo. Yeah. Um, and actually, and air conditioning is kind of rare there as well. Yeah. So the fact that he says unless the the house has AC, that is quite uncommon. Uh, at least it was when I lived there. So don't listen to me because it's been thirty years since I lived there. So never mind. <laughs> just open all the windows and let the breeze blow through with a coconut. That sounds fabulous. Um, all right. We got uh, in a similar vein talking about the clock gear situation. We got a voicemail kickback from Chris. 
Hey guys, this is Chris Allen from Virginia. Just leaving a little bit of a of kickback in response to the latest episode having to do with the clock gears. Um, I actually have an uncle who makes wooden clocks, and he got the plan out of a fine woodworking magazine from way back. And he uses blanks uh, where he laminates three thin uh, pieces of hardwood and creates, you know, a, a stable blank for which he can. Um, make the wooden gears thought that might be a little bit of help love the show thank you guys keep it up bye cool so it's like making your own quasi solid plywood lamination thing so that makes sense too you know i believe our very own matt vanderlist came up with that idea that's right we, we were making jokes about it weren't we <laughs> about how much yeah, work it i think would be. i think we were what do yeah, you know that's all right you guys can you can thank me later on or apologize later <laughs> Just do what you normally do, which is just ignore it. <laughs> is there, there's a frequency of Matt's voice. I think that, that people are just tuning out when he talks. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> Anything longer than two syllables. <laughs> All right. Well, we had another email from Brad who said, I was listening to your recent podcast and I was kind of sad that all your scraps get burned. Mm. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I've been turning my scrap into wood blocks for kids. Just make sure they are defect-free. Uh, it is a little more work to cut and sand, but kids love them. The only downside is the firewood pile turns into kindling. Uh, is, it, well, is it bad that I was wondering if he was talking about the wood being defect-free or the kids? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if I, if I made them for kids, I've only got one, and the kid only can have so many blocks. You know, so at some at some point, it's going in Daddy's smoker. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what? You're in trouble today. Put it in the smoker. Take your blocks, A, B, and C. Yes, take them. Put them in the smoker. Quit throwing them at the dogs. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay, we got the next one from Brian. He says, after listening to episode 159, I had two thoughts on Tim's question about distressing construction grade lumber. You'll probably find the first one hilarious and or depressing. About a decade back, I worked for Wood Mode. And it's not unusual to see six-figure kitchen orders coming through for cabinets that were literally beaten with rocks from the parking lot. They use some other distressing methods that Mark mentioned, but apparently if you want to get wealthy in the cabinet-making industry, you just need a poorly maintained parking lot. Uh, they don't make secret. Yeah, right. Uh, they don't make secret how they achieve the distressed finish, and in fact, they show some examples on their website. I could put a link up for that. And uh, now a rhetorical question about sourcing lumber for rustic primitive projects: Why buy new wood and make it look old when you could just buy old wood? This idea's mileage may vary based on location, but here in central Pennsylvania, I could throw a stone in any direction and hit a salvage yard. Then again, our Amish can dismantle a barn faster than you could say Rumspringa. Of course, if you do buy salvage yard lumber, uh, your tool arsenal ought to include a metal detector. Those old cut nails will ruin every other tool you own if you don't. But hold on to these nails and pound them back in before applying your finish because folks around here just love that crap made out of other crap look <laughs> for some strange reason. <laughs> that's a great That's a great phrase. Crap made out of other crap. Wonderful. That, that's how a lot of people refer to most of my projects. I'm, I'm sure Aiden will say that about this. You know, I'm thinking if, if Brian is throwing rocks, I hope he's getting paid for it if he's still in the wood mode uh, parking lot. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like a lot of fun. You know what it sounds like is like when people just get really irritated. You get you reach that certain point with a project where you're like, I'm so sick and tired of this. Let's take it out in the driveway and just throw rocks at it. Yeah. Totally. Um, let's move into our voicemail. Got a couple of them here. And the first one is a very important message for Shannon. And uh, it's a good example of why customer service is important. And I've um, sent a couple emails to the Hand Tool School trying to find out about how I could pay through the mail for the for the semester <laughs> courses. It's been a while and I haven't heard anything. And um, there's a live session coming up. And if you would prefer to email, you can check in your emails. And I have um, a couple in there. So Shannon, what's going on? That is too funny. Anybody who attended the live session last night, um, this lady was actually there. Oh, she made it. And I have tried to reply to this woman Lord knows how many times. I finally just said, please, please, please check your spam folder. Something about my mail is not being received on your end. Oh, yeah. That so happens. I answered all her questions. It was it's so frustrating. There was a time um, in my misspent youth when I was sending emails to my entire membership from my own mail server. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when the hand tool school first started, it wasn't that big. And then suddenly when you do send it to your member database and you realize you just sent it to like 500 people, well, my mail server got flagged as spam by like AOL, Yahoo, a um, couple of other servers. It's all been cleared up. 
but every now and then something ends up in the in the spam folder so i was was like i promise you i have emailed you right away like three different times yeah i just thought that was funny i also edited out her name and phone number so if you want those i can give them to you but uh that that would be good actually because that's the other thing is is she's emailed several times but left me no way to contact her but her email yeah i got her phone number for you so you you can take care of that just you know just making sure uh we keep things real around here shannon i just think it's funny that she called the wood talk number that's even better (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't even know where you get, oh, that's right. You get it from the show. But if she, maybe she listens, maybe that's the deal. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will be worked out to her satisfaction. Um, I thought for sure that voicemail is going to be about <laughs> Shannon's misproctology. Exam. Uh-oh. Uh, well, all right. <laughs> that's, that's next week. All right. Let's move on to Mike from LA, our good buddy, Mike. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Mike from Los Angeles with a question about routing and game. Um, I'm making some cutting boards, end-to-end cutting boards, and after glue up the, uh, you know, it's not flat. Um, so I've been using the uh, router flattening jig that Mark um, constructed for his uh, Rubo Guild build um, with that same one, I think it's a one and three-quarter inch diameter straight bit. I'm getting a ton of tear out. Um, I know that I could be uh, using a cabinet or card scraper or, low-angle plane. I'm going to cut that short because we're a little uh, short on time here, but he's just asking about the bit recommendation. Um, First of all, if you can, Mike, I would say do the the most you can to avoid having to do that flattening process in the first place. If you're very careful with your glue-ups, you should have it close enough that with the good aggressive sanding, you can get that surface ready to go. Then you don't even have to worry about all this crap uh, with the router bits. But um, the router bit that he's using now is the big fat one and a quarter inch router bit, which on end grain, if you're looking at something that might be prone to, to giving you tear out in the first place, those are some big honking pieces of metal that you're, uh, you're, you're swinging around there. So you, you might be better off just going with a smaller bit, something that's a smaller diameter may give you better results. Of course, they tend to also give you more grooves in the surface as you go. Even if you use one that's like intended for bottom cleaning, um, you may still, especially in end grain, you almost like you're running, like when you run your hand over carpet and you can see which direction you've run your hand, it kind of does the same thing in the wood grain. So um, that can be a pain in the butt to sand out. So um, yeah, try a smaller bit, but if you can totally avoid this situation by by sanding and, and having nice uh, good joints that are nice and flat to begin with. Um, all right, one more question here from from John and it's more actually not a question more of a statement hey guys this is John again uh, so I was listening to your latest podcast and I kind of had a uh, a pile on to the story you were talking about the guy who almost lopped his head off with an angle grinder uh, with a blade on it kind of pile on that you don't know what you don't know and what you don't know can really hurt you so I was making an end grain cutting board uh, and it was just wide in the wide enough to fit in my planer. And so after I glued it up, I thought, what better way to get it all nice and flat than to put it through my planer? And I had no idea that this, is a, that this was very dangerous. I put it in my planer, and luckily uh, it did not explode my planer, but it shot that, it sounded like a gunshot, and it launched the planer back out. It hit me right in the gut, launched me off my feet, and I landed flat on my back on my shop floor about five feet behind the planer. I have no idea what happened until I went back and Googled and found out that you should never, ever under any circumstances, put end grain through a planer. Hopefully that'll save one of your listeners, uh, you know, a broken rib or two or worse um, in the future. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Yes, indeed. Uh, cautionary tale there. I actually have an article on the website about this. If you search Google end grain through the planer, you'll find it. Um, it, it talks about someone's experience, very similar to what John experienced there. And it it can be very dangerous. Now, a lot of people, if you read those comments, a lot of people will talk about experiences they've had that went well because they use uh, support strips on both sides of the, the board. So if you have the proper support in place, it can be done. It's just, I, I just don't trust it. It, to me, is a recipe for problems. So I'm, I'm with John on this one. I don't even think it's worth trying, uh, even with those strips in place. But I do, you know, want to make sure I say, because people always get upset about it, that it is possible to do it safely, um, but you really need to research that technique and make sure you, you are confident that you want to go through with that, even if there are some <laughs> some additional risks. Well, that's so, the I thing. I just do I, it... <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> just both, both of you keep Anytime talking. Anytime you have to like 
really kind of search around to find a way around something to, you know, make it safe or to make it more stable. That's when I really start wondering, do I really need to do this? There has to be a safer way. Well, and it goes back to the previous voicemail asking about flattening. He's running through the same problem and he is not using his planer, but he's having issues with the bits. And then once he gets the right bit that doesn't tear out, then he's going to have a bunch of little like track marks in the top that he's going to have to sand out. So you kind of have to pick your poison. But, you know, in this case, especially with end grain, a lot of times the safer solutions are the ones that just require a heck of a lot more work, unfortunately. Right. I, I've always done it the way they take x-rays at the dentist's office. You know, I, I fire up the planer and like get it started and then leave the room. <laughs> Run behind a metal shield. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good idea. I like that. It works great. You know, it, it tears out, <laughs> blows the end off. But as long as I leave enough there to trim away later, yeah, it's fine. It's quite safe. <laughs> um, no problems. All right. Uh, let's move into our emails. I've got one here from Kevin. He says, last fall, I was applying an oil stain on a tabletop when a bead of sweat fell into the unfinished wood on the top. (gasps) Oh, no. Did it make a sound? Uh, Well, he was there. He must have heard it, so it did. I'm falling. (laughs) I quickly wiped away the drip, but the damage had been done. I didn't want to stop applying the stain, fearing leaving a line. I placed painter's tape over the wet area and continued staining. I let the stain dry for a day, then removed the tape, sanded the area, and tried feathering the stain into the dry stain. I then applied a second coat of stain to my eye. Uh, My fix was not successful, but my wife didn't see it until a week later when I gave her the table. Anyway, I've uh, taken to hearing, a, wearing, it says hearing, but I think you meant wearing, a headband uh, when finishing, but I was wondering what you guys would do to fix a problem like this. Your video on rubbing out a finish is what brought this uh, this bad experience back into my mind. All right, well, I don't know if, the, if this uh, pops into your head, guys, but the thing that I am thinking is if I dripped sweat while I'm staining, I would hurry up and rub some stain on that area. Um, yeah, I, I would not yeah. have uh, I would not have isolated it because number one, anytime you try to fix and spot fix stain in the way that he's describing, just a little patch that hasn't been stained around a whole area that has, it's almost impossible to get that to look right. It, it looks like you spot fixed it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the situation he's describing to me says like, okay, I, I dripped. What do I do? I would like wiping it off is fine, but I would have immediately grabbed the wet stain rag or brush or whatever it is and moved to that section and get the stain on there because the, the mineral spirits and everything that's in the stain would have mixed with whatever little sweat, you know, absorbed into the fibers. It didn't have enough time to dry completely. And it probably would have been a completely negligible effect had he mixed it with the stain. We're talking about one, one, I mean, unless he really has giant sweat drops, um, you know. he sweats like I do. And there's the, like there's buckets. the title of the show. Uh, wait a minute. Is this from Roy Underhill? <laughs> right? That's where this comes from, isn't it? It's yeah. not Kevin. Um, yeah. So ultimately I think mixing it in is probably the best solution. Now, once it's done, once the damage is done and you're trying to match it, I don't think that there is a great solution for it. You can use toners and things like that to try to disguise and blend in a little bit better. You could try to mask off the area around and then just like put stain in that one particular spot, but that never works out great. Um, For me, if that were my situation and I had that problem, I probably would have just stripped and sanded back to get the the surface back to bare wood and I would have started over. No. Inlay. There you go. Marquetry inlay. That's a good idea. Like a nice diamond right in the middle. That's all you need. Are you kidding? If it's a tabletop, just put a coaster over that area. A permanent coaster. Yep. Um, And who's next? Matt? That would be me. Hey, this question came in from Barry. And Barry says, my question is, how far do you take sanding? At what grit do you stop and then add your finish? I've been building a rocking chair and I'm very close to the final sanding. In the past, when I'm building something that I've taken a lot of pride in and time in building, I've sanded up to 600 grit and then went over the project with micro mesh discs up to 12,000. Is this overkill? <laughs> in the Vanderlist shop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt, Very much Matt so. stops after the 40-tooth blade. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? We like rustic around here because the way that we sit on things, especially a rocking chair, it'll be perfectly flat in no time. <laughs> Don't go. worry about it, especially with these rough jeans that we like to wear. Um, you know, I, I, this is – sanding is definitely a personal thing. I think there are plenty of people out there that just like like with sharpening and the individuals that really take the honing up to NASA-grade mesh kind of stuff where they, they absolutely want – you know, just looking at it, you slide off the side of it. <laughs> um, I, I, I personally believe that, that that's what a lot of people just absolutely think that they have to have the slickest possible surface before they even go to the finish. Now, my problem with this 
is depending on the wood and depending on the finish that you're going to use, sometimes the finish maybe won't adhere to it the way that you want it to. Because if you go too high up with the finishing, and again, maybe it depends on whether it's an end grain or whether it's, uh, I guess, the species itself, too high of a finish will actually potentially burnish the surface. So Mm -hmm. therefore, whatever finish you're going to be putting in there uh, may not penetrate the proper way. Sure. So, So the way I usually do it, this is the way it's done in the vandalist shop. Uh, before I put the finish on, I usually go to only maybe, maybe 220. I, in fact, I think most of the time I stop at 220, uh, and then I apply the finish. And then it's the subsequent, as I'm building up coats, depending, again, on what finish it is, that's when I might go higher up in the grits. Uh, but I think the highest I've ever really gone is, like, maybe 400. And that's only because I wanted that surface super, super slick and nice and silky touching. But other than that, um, I don't really break out every single possible grit there is yeah and and sanding up to 600 and then micro mesh to 12 if you're trying to do something fancy with it and and maybe to prove a point of what you could do with bare wood sure i know there's a festival demo when they show their rotex sanders going from you know basically rough planing of the surface to this fine shine um it's cool it's interesting but for practical purposes most times you're never going to need to sand beyond 180 or 220 um, for me, I sand to 320 when I'm doing like an oil finish and I'm looking for that real uh, close to the wood sort of uh, look and feel. I like to start with something that's just a little bit smoother and the oil is really just going to absorb into the fibers. So I want those fibers to be to be nice and smooth. Um, but if you're going over 320, that's what you use to sand finishes. Um, right. Yeah. You know, I don't think you're really ever uh, there might be some situations where someone will as an exception, but most times there's just no reason to do that with uh, bare wood. Um, it's it's fun. It can be interesting, but it doesn't really serve any true practical purpose. Right. The only time I've ever done it is at the lathe. Uh, right. Yeah. Above 220, that is. And, and that's like a small little, you know, pin bottle stopper type thing that you mm-hmm. want to you know, absolutely glow and, and blind people when they take it out of the box. You know, right. Using micro mesh pads and all that. But. Yeah, and, and I, then my thing with that though is even when you you go that far, and I'm not saying it shouldn't because I I, I love watching, especially the rings I've been making recently. I've been trying to get them as shiny as possible. But if it's something that people are going to be touching a lot, that nice beautiful shine is going to suddenly disappear after just a little while. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like mm, why should I kill myself that way? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, yeah. let's see. We got <laughs> um, got another email here from Brett. 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 Every time. I begin a new project and calculate the cost of wood. I have to take a trip to the lumber yard to get the price. Is there a national average price for different species of wood that can be found online so I can calculate wood cost in my shop or the wood pricing based solely on location? I will include a link here to an article that is definitely and brilliantly written um, at the McIlvain Lumber blog. Oh, I thought you were going to point to something on my site. Darn. <laughs> no, I mean, that would be definitely written, not the brilliantly part. Okay. Um, it, it's The title of the article is How Much Will My Lumber Cost? This is actually something I wrote relatively recently, like last month or whatever. Um, there is a publication called Hardwood, The Hardwood Buyer, that has market prices for domestic species only, North American domestics only, Um there's no such thing as national averages for exotic species. There's no way. No way you could possibly do that because there's just too much data. But that hardwood buyer guide is really geared towards wholesale lumber sale. Mm-hmm. Um, all the prices are listed as MBF or 1,000 board feet. So you'll be seeing very, very large numbers. Um, and those numbers, if you were to break it down, you know, divide by 1,000, to get that per board foot cost, it'll be ridiculously low. You'll think, oh my God, this is awesome. I'm being gouged. That's because it's being sold by 1,000 board feet as, as wholesale size orders. Those numbers themselves are merely a guide as to cost for the dealer, whether it's a wholesale dealer or a retail dealer. It's kind of the idea that this is how much it's maybe kind of sort of going to cost you. Um, the re- reality is there are thousands of variables that come into actually what your lumber costs. And that, that article that um, I mentioned the link to earlier kind of talks about maybe a third of those variables that can affect the cost of the wood. It is certainly has something to do with the market that you're in, but it also has to do with how far down the supply chain the person you're buying from, how where they sit in that supply chain. Yeah. Um, 
and then good old-fashioned supply and demand. So you could look at the Hardwood Buyer's Guide to get some idea, but honestly, I think for those of us who are buying retail lumber, I think it'll, all it will do is serve to make you mad. <laughs> totally. Because <laughs> yeah. you see how low you know, the, the actual cost, if, you know, it, it, it really is. And even then, that's a little misleading. Leading. Well, and so, not to mention, <laughs> I can go to two places, two retail locations in Phoenix and get wildly different prices on everything. Right. I mean, and go back three days later and get totally different prices. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so here, here's my question though. Maybe, maybe we're missing the obvious here. Don't they have a phone? Um, you know, these days the kids don't like to use landlines. <laughs> he says he has to drive to the lumber yard to get the price. Why aren't we just calling? I, I call ahead all the time when I place an order, just so I know what to budget for a particular purchase. Um, the lumber yards don't have any problems giving me a price, uh, quote on a particular species and size and quantity. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing is a lot of them will even have just uh, a couple of the lumber yards around me have full on uh, price sheets online, PDFs and everything else. Yeah. You know, I think we lost Shannon here. Um, let me get him back on the call. It dropped him. It, di- it didn't like our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Apparently not. No, I guess not. Uh, but I think that uh, did you have anything else to add to that? before we? I go? don't know. I heard you say, here's my good. And that was it. All right. So, well, what we were saying was, here's the thing. Shannon is going to gouge you. No, just <laughs> don't don't buy wood from Shannon. Uh, no, you'll have to listen to the episode to hear the rest of it. That's um, right. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, go into our iTunes reviews. Did you guys know that you can actually go to the iTunes store and find our show? Click on ratings and reviews and leave us a review. Something like uh, maybe asking Matt if he's really Wolverine's older and slightly less ripped brother. You want to find out, buddy? Come on, bud. I'll tell you. <laughs> Let's see those claws. Uh, of course, we'd uh, we'd like to thank a couple people. Uh, t- would that be pronounced Touge? Touge? Touge grip? Or Tugi grip? Like, I'm going to go with Touge. Uh, Touge grip. Hot Rod Monkey and RG Farmer 3, who had this to say. He says, I truly enjoy the conversation and love what they that they stay on topic and actually answer the questions. Other podcasts and I'm going to say shall remain nameless, uh, tend to do a lot of inside jokes and fail to answer the questions presented informative, entertaining, and just good to listen. Actually, you know, RG farmer three, I think you're probably thinking of uh, us in a previous life because all those things sound very familiar to emails that we've received. Uh, it could have maybe been, you know, our, uh, episodes from last year. I don't know. Yes, probably. Yeah, we've improved. Say, just go back in the catalog a little bit and then you'll want to change that review. Yeah, we've improved so much in the last year. So, you know, um, we actually take this seriously now. Our podcasts are in stereo now, so I don't know. I must be Shannon didn't see the email, but somebody sent one in with their their uh, nomination for the best Matt contact information ever. And I'm like, yes. really? When did that happen? I should have. You should have reminded me of that. I wanted to uh, excerpt that from the from the show and play it. Maybe next time. <laughs> Okay, so remember, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com. And if you get a chance, go over to TWWStore.com and take a look at those Wood Talk t-shirts. Um, you really should walk around with the three of us on your chest. It's just a, Why would you not want to? It's a great fashion right. statement. It kind of just makes you feel good. You know, it's one of those things. I'm just going to go so far as to say, guys, it'll get you chicks. It will. It will. And yeah. chicks, it'll get you dudes. Or chicks, if you're into that. Exactly. All right. Uh, so let's uh, thank all the donors who have helped out in the past. We always appreciate that. If you go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the left-hand side, and you'll see some links for uh, some small recurring donations and uh, one-time donation if that's what you want to do. And that type of support always, always helps. So we really appreciate it. And Matt, how about you give them the contact info, and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, suggestion, maybe a topic idea for us? There's several different ways you can contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. We'll also handle all calls for the Hand Tool School because we know that those guys <laughs> never answer their phones. You can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com, where if you go to episode 123, there is rumor that that's one of my best ever contact informations, although I think this one's pretty darn good, too. This one's getting pretty good, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, so take care of all that, whatever. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Dang it! Okay, well, um, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> See you, bye! See ya. Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. 
Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.